Hello, I'm Rob Beckett. And I'm Josh Whittacombe. Welcome to Parents in Hell, the show in which Josh and I discuss what it's really like to be a parent, which I would say can be a little tricky. So, to make ourselves, and hopefully you, feel better about the trials and tribulations of modern day parenting, each week we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping. Or hopefully how they're not coping. And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener, with your tips, advice, and of course, tales of parenting woe. Because let's be honest, there are plenty of times when none of us know what we're doing. Hello, you're listening to Parent in Hell with... Lucas, can you say Rob Beckett? Rob Beckett. And can you say Josh Widdicombe? Josh Widdicombe. Well done, darling. Lovely. Who is that, Josh? Hi, Josh and Rob. I was late to the party and now almost caught up. I usually listen on the way home when Lucas is asleep in the car, thinking that way he won't pick up bad words. However, when I got him to do this intro, I said Josh and he said Widdicombe. So it seems to be listening subconsciously. Love the podcast. Keep it being sexy and relatable. Abby, two, three, nine, two months from Chester. Lucas, two and a half years. Lovely stuff. Chester, nice place. Oh, it's glorious, isn't it, Chester? Did you ever do that gig up there? It's Chester... Alexander's. No, the laughter, the laughing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah, the, the laughing. laughing, as in laughing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's here anymore, is it? No, it's good, that gig. Right by the station. <laughs> you love a train. Love a train. Josh, how are you? How's life? Uh, life is good. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Has your daughter, your son's probably a bit young, tried to be on Roblox yet? No, but her friend, who's got older siblings, does it. Yeah, so my daughter... Well, it's weird, though, because they both got shown Roblox by older kids, mm. our friends, and my eldest doesn't care less. The youngest is banging to it. So talk me through what Roblox is. Roblox, you create a little character, looks like a little Lego person, and yeah. you run around, you can you basically buy Robux with real money, and that opens access to buying clothes, houses, and you can create your own little world. It's like an open world where you can build a house, you can build, but you have to buy it all. So you have to unlock different part, different software packages to build, and then you can make friends on it. It's almost like a social media sort of platform where your friends can hang out with you in your house you've built. Right. And it's all online, it's an online world. She was on it, and then we deleted it, and then she wanted to go back on it. And so I tried to log in, like, to set up a new profile for it. And when you have a profile, you have to have, like, a unique profile name. Yeah. You're not allowed to use your own name, so it gives a bit of yeah, like an online avatar alias thing. So I said, oh, what name do you want? And she was like, can I can be called Emma? And I said, well, you know, probably about 20 billion people play Roblox. I was like, yeah, Emma's been taken. <laughs> she was like, I want to be called Violet. I was like, yeah, that's gone as well. She said, what about um, Violet, Violet? I went, yep, yeah, that's gone. And she went, what about Violet123? I was like, yeah, you wish. No, um, so... <laughs> I think her name's like, I won't say on here because it's weird, but it's yeah. something like a Violet Emma 12308 exclamation mark underscore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was crying so much, going, I just want to be called Emma. I was like, so, oh, the fucking Emma's got it. <laughs> um, Emma's a fucking dweeb, isn't she? She's oh, the first Emma. The nerdiest Emma. Emma and the, the, yeah. the nerdiest Emma in the world, the person who's got Emma on their Roblox. Absolute it's joke. Like, um, have you had your phone? My phone consistently suggests secure passwords to me that are fucking mental. As if, you, and then it makes it really hard to just put your own. It may, I can't. Yeah, come just, on. I, can, I can't live like this with passwords yeah. anymore. There's a password for every. And now you got you buy something at a shop. Do you want me to email the receipt to you? No. 
I don't want to sign yeah. up to another email because you're not saving the planet by not printing off. You just want my fucking details, you little yeah. data harvesting scum. Fuck, I bought a pair of pants. I don't want to give my email address over. <laughs> Hot, hate it. Do you know what I had the other day, Rob? It was a real blast from the past. Oh, <laughs> I felt, this felt like the, the old days. I, I needed to get a receipt from my taxi journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because uh, the train terminated in Reading. And so uh, I couldn't get home. And the TV company said, just get a taxi and bill it back to us. Yeah. I, I'd forgotten about this. I said, can I have a receipt? And he gave me a paper receipt. And he said, put whatever you want on it. <laughs> I love the way they say that to you. Because it's like, yeah. they don't, these taxi receipts, they're never like, they've, not, they've never got their name, address and VAT number on. No. It's literally like taxi.com. That's just like taxi yeah. cab. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and then it's just a bit. Of, it's, a, it's a post-it note with taxi cab written yeah, on it, and yeah, you write exactly. four hundred pound on it. Yeah, and he thinks he's doing you a massive favour. I know. Like, I was thinking about this because I was trying to think because I was listening to an interview with Damon Albarn. Unsurprisingly, he mm. doesn't have a phone, and they said, "How did you do it?" And he said, I "Just started leaving at home, yeah. and then eventually." But you're like, but maybe he just lives a life where he doesn't have to do these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah because you... So, like, if I, if I tried to go out for the day without my phone, yeah. the main problems would be um, paying for parking. Yeah. If I want to get... So, if I was going to the gym... All my gym's now on a phone thing. Yeah. I, mean, I don't really go to the gym. And the parking's <laughs> free there anyway, so it's absolutely pointless. driving. Drive it. Yeah, I wouldn't know where to get... So I wouldn't be able to get anywhere or yeah. park when I got there. But if you just want to go cashless and phoneless, you've got no chance. Do you know, though, Rob, do you know who would be an expert in this? Who? The former Shadow Chancellor Red Bulls. <laughs> That's, that is lovely stuff. Yeah. Can we ask, I'll tell you what, we, need to, we should ask him. Yeah, let's chat about your kids. But also, why is everything digital? Yeah. <laughs> what are you trying to get from us? Yeah, you watch. What us. are you guys? What are you guys up to up in government? Yeah, but um, yeah, Ed Balls now. Um, yeah. we're going to ask Ed Balls, can't we? Is he the full time host of that show? No, it sort of splits. So you've got your know, Piers Morgan's gone, kaput. Yeah, Maidley's on there a lot. Ed Adil Balls. Ray, Adil Ray, he pops up. Ben Shepherd, Ben Shepherd. Who else? It's a tough gig. That I can't do. I was thinking I'd about rather, day, right? so, I'd rather just just work a normal hour job, please. So. So our kids now, my daughter now does swimming at 7.45am. We have to drop her off before school yeah. to do swimming at this swimming club thing. Right, it's so early. I was speaking to my mate about it. His mate's mate, whose kids go to that big old posh, old school sort of posh school, mm. where they do water polo. And his, his water polo is on at 6.20am in the morning. Oh, And they do that. water polo three times a week, and they have to go to West London to do water polo at right. 9 o'clock. You're not going to be a water polo player, and even no. if you are, there's no money in it. But I was like, oh, why have they got to go to West London to do water polo? I was like, oh, because they've, they've made the county team. Like, but they fucking have. What? Out of a, excuse the pun, pool of 15 people, they made the top 12. <laughs> no one's playing water polo, mate. Of course you're in the, course you're in the, in the county team. Oh, my God. I am not getting up at 6.20 for that. If comedy gigs were at 6am, I wouldn't be a comedian. I can't operate. I'm so no. lucky that comedy's in the evening. Oh, I just couldn't do it. My dream tour, though, Rob, would be gigs at 3pm. No. Yeah. No, for me, perfect would be 20-minute drive from my house, 11.30am start, and then the hour and a half, yeah, finished about 2 o'clock. That's me done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's me at my best. Yeah. 
Nice yeah, little lie in. I am better in the morning. I, after I'm lunch, in the I'm morning, but not early morning. Yeah, yeah. But my morning, my morning's about 10, 11. That's when I start to really start firing. Um, but I'm at, it's 10, 37 hours. I'm really sticking I reckon you should just, if I reckon your fans are loyal enough, book your next tour for 11 a.m. every theatre. And just do Bromley. Just do Bromley. Just do, just do a residency I, at the I Bromley Churchill. How, if I did a, a residency at Bromley Churchill, 11 a.m. Monday to Friday, <laughs> how many tickets do you think I'd sell? I don't think you'd sell as many as you'd hope. I don't think I'd sell as many as if I travelled around. I'm not, you know, the no. Peter K level. No. <laughs> I didn't shuffle it out to 20 people in a 700 seat. Well, do you know who'd know about the economics of that? So you keep trying to get into Ed Balls, aren't you? Yeah. I want to ask him as well how they answer questions at 6am on like the radio yeah. and on oh, Good Morning God. Britain when the politicians are getting asked Because now he's on the other side of it. Yeah. So he must know the things to do to annoy him. Yeah. Well, we'll why, and why can't they just go, oh, you're lying about that? I just, That's I, a lie. Rob, I want to eat something before we interview Ed Balls. It's 22 minutes to interview Ed Balls. <laughs> okay, let me, all right. Let me go and eat something. Right, here's Ed Balls. Can I just say, I just had a text. You'll love this. Tom O'Hara, who is the um, publisher of our new podcast. My son has just started school where Josh Whittacombe was the quiz master at a parents' pub quiz recently. I spent the entire evening being delighted and how funny my son's reception teacher was. Oh, <laughs> there we go. So there you are. So he thought that you were the teacher. He thought you were the teacher. I'm not sure what that says about him. That is a real kick in the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get this straight. Your friends thought that Josh Whittacombe was a quite a funny teacher. They thought he was surprisingly funny for a reception teacher. I'm not sure what they thought he was doing. I mean, quite why he was kind of chairing the pub quiz in such a sort of, you know, a bullion fashion, I've no idea. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that as a good review. Definitely take it. It was a good quiz. Tell him I'm doing another one just before Christmas. I will tell him. Yeah. You love that, Josh. Ed, how involved were you? First of all, how old are your kids and how involved were you with the schooling? So um, I think when they were at primary school, I took them to school. Yeah. And um, picked them up. Any quizzes? Actually, I took them to school more uh, in the mornings, and um, which generally went well. Yeah. Although um, I had, had one really bad experience which i think probably quite a lot of parents will um understand it was a monday morning and um my oldest daughter was five and we did the whole school walk and she had a lunch and a bag and we arrived there and we got to the gate yeah and it was locked and we stand outside for a bit thinking what's gone wrong <laughs> and then a guy comes around and says i'm really sorry it's half term we had absolutely no idea so it was, it was shut but the, the, but the thing that's bad about this story is the following monday yeah a week later i went confident that you know you could only make that yeah. mistake once we arrived on the second monday this is totally true yeah. and again and this time i didn't believe it so i'm rattling the gates thinking they've shut the gates early and the same guy comes out and says inset day Unbelievable. <laughs> and my daughter, honestly, age five, said to me, Dad, she said, could mum take us to school next week? <laughs> I, was, I was sacked. But you're, you know, you're a details man, aren't you? I thought I was, but it turns out not about that. Yeah, that was bad. How old are your kids, Ed? Our kids now are 24, 21 yeah. and 19. Girl, boy, girl. So I imagine, though, 20 years ago, the shared Google calendar wasn't really happening, was it? It's a bit more like the emails and stuff coming in. How much was online? Because now I've got about five different apps about when my kids are in school, off school. You can download calendars to your phone and stuff like that. But that weren't happening then, was it? This was well before any of that. I didn't get a 
iPhone till um, our oldest daughter was um, 16. And back then, I think I probably had got a BlackBerry, but Blackberries you use for messaging or for texts, mm, or yeah. if you were a drug dealer for um, arranging your um, meetings, because there was a whole sort of BBM thing, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I never worked out how to use the calendar. So we never used an online calendar any time I was in politics. It was always paper-based. Was it? And cause Tony Blair didn't have a mobile phone, did he? He didn't have a mobile phone. Gordon Brown didn't do emails until later. When Gordon Brown discovered the email was a catastrophic moment in the life of the nation, because he suddenly realised he could, you know, if he woke up early, he could share his thoughts more widely. <laughs> yeah. But, when, but when, this is honestly true. When we arrived in government in 1997, so at the beginning of the Blair government, None of us had ever used email for anything. Yeah. We didn't use any email because it was so early on in email. And also wow. we had mm. this view that if you wrote something down in the email and then sent it into, you know, the interweb, then somebody might get it and expose you and that would be a disaster. So we did everything on paper. So when we got to the treasury in 97, the treasury had moved over to doing yeah. everything electronically a couple of years before they were early. And I had this box of papers, which I was given, and you're supposed to um, work on them and send back comments. And I had for the first three months, a tape recorder. And I used to turn on the tape recorder and say, yeah, on this paper, this is what I think. And then I had a secretary who would then transcribe my voice messages oh, into oh emails. God. And you were running the country. We were running the country. <laughs> <laughs> Into the bloody ground. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I just thought it was funny to put yeah, in there. Yeah, but I think actually not at the time. That was later. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Financial <laughs> crisis was still 10 years away at that point. So we were, we were overachieving at the time. Early yeah, on. fair enough. <laughs> what was it like, uh, Yvette Cooper's your wife, who's yeah. Shadow Home Secretary at the moment. Yeah. And so are your diaries really intense? Like, what's it like for parenting when you're ministers or when you're, you know, shadow ministers? I think that it's when things go wrong that it's a disaster. But then I think that was true for mm. true for all parents, really, that you have a system. And our systems had to be quite complicated because you had to be able to cover votes in the evenings until, um, you know, getting home late at night. But yeah. do you remember in 2001 when there was the train crash at Hatfield and all of the north-south yeah. trains, suddenly everybody went really risk-averse and the train time went from being like two hours to Yorkshire where we lived to like four, four and a half hours. And we had no choice. And so we just right. used to get these really, really long trains with young kids. So those times where it became much more stressful. But I think um, fundamentally, life is about having a good mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> if at key moments you can make the call. Yeah. So Yvette's mum was a teacher for head of maths for you know, 20, 30 years, but she was retiring about the time our first child was born. Mm. And she said to us, you know, would we like her to do like a couple of days a week? And we said, we didn't really, because we needed to get you know, some paid childcare. But if she could come one day a week, but instead, if we could have the second day in reserve, so that any time when things went wrong, you could ring, oh. kind of ring grandma. Oh, that's good. And I think that is, oh. I mean, you know, a supportive mother-in-law. Yeah. So you lived up in Yorkshire. Was that your constituency or a vet's constituency? So, you no, know, it was a vet's constituency and then it became my constituency later. Mine was next door to a vet. So she was elected in 97, me not to 2005. By the time I was elected we had all the three children but we lived in london from like sunday night until thursday night and then we all moved up and we all moved down every week so and all of the children went up and down every week and what did they do for school so they were in school in london primary school secondary school but to begin with they were in nursery school up there on a friday and then because you know we had to be in parliament during the working week yeah yeah 
And so I would, you know, take small kids up to, to Yorkshire every Friday. It was really interesting. <laughs> I don't know whether this kind of corresponds with what you've seen with talking to other people. There was a real difference between the gendered attitude of men and women on trains to um, people doing childcare. If a vet was traveling up with a pushchair and their government box and you know, two kids on a Friday afternoon, yeah. all of the men would look at her with kind of great you know, support and sympathy, but they'd never offered to help. Because it was mainly men on the train at that time yeah. going home. You know, it was mixed, but it was more men than women back then. Whereas if it was me, you'd get to about, you know, somewhere north of Grantham and um, some guy in a suit who'd been away all week and was looking forward to getting home to be with his kids would lean over and say, can I help? And take the baby. Oh, really? So, so our, our, our young children were regularly kind of, you know, nursed by men on the train. They never offered to help a vet, <laughs> always offered to help me, getting the bags down. Wow, that's, so that's fascinating. Because I, mean, I think what it was, and it was the same with women, women and men would offer to help me because actually I think I just probably looked a bit desperate and also um, yeah. they didn't feel like <laughs> there was an affront, but to offer to help a vet might have been a criticism, so people didn't do it. Right, yeah, if yeah. If we went down on a Monday, nobody offered, ever. Because then, <laughs> then what they were doing was they were going back to work. So they'd shut the door, yeah. left the kids behind. Our oldest daughter had this toy telephone, which, you know, at a time when telephones were a big thing, actually, you know, you could call it a toy mobile phone, which had this really, mm. really loud ring. And she would have it on the train and then her phone would ring and she'd be, you know, be mimicking a mum and dad. And on a Friday afternoon, all the commuters would smile. On a Monday morning, oh, they complained, hated it. Oh, God, bloody <laughs> mobile phone, shut her up. Is that because that's what your constituency was up there? Yeah, so, Is that why you had to go back? So Yvette was an MP for um, Normanton, Pontefract, Castleford um, in West Yorkshire, just to the east of Leeds. Mm. And then I was the MP for the next door seat, which was called Morley and Outwood. So South Leeds, North Wakefield. And is she still the MP for that, presumably? Yeah, she's been the MP now so for... So do you still go there every weekend? We do. It changed when two things happened. One, I lost my seat in 2015, as you know. So suddenly I didn't have the same work reason to have to go all the time. Mm, and yeah. also as the kids got a bit older, their social life shifted a bit. And um, yeah. you know, they, they ended up with more friends from school here. Yeah, yeah. You know, Everett goes every weekend for three days, four days. I um, don't go every weekend. But we have a Ukrainian yeah. family who've lived with us now for a year and a half. So um, there's always somebody at home. There's always borscht or something, <laughs> dumplings <laughs> about to be provided. That's how it works. And do they have kids, the Ukrainian family? They do. know. Well, the, it's a, actually, it's a brilliant story. Yvette was doing um, for Rob Burroughs, the Strictly Come Dancing fundraiser for yeah. motor neuron disease. And it turns out there is this big network. I never really knew about this. A network between the north of England, ballroom dancing world, and Russia and Ukraine. Oh, right. And it sort of makes sense because Katya, who I dance with in Strictly, she's a Russian dancer from St. Petersburg who'd yeah, come over. Mm. Yeah. And we heard about this family. It was actually two families where the 10-year-olds were, you know, like the top 10-year-olds in Ukraine at ballroom dancing. Yeah. One dad was in the military, one was in kind of in logistics. Both families had had to leave Ukraine in a real hurry because they were living in Kyiv and the bombing was happening and they were separated. And so they couldn't practice. Their dance partnership was shattered by the oh. war. And Yvette hears oh. this story and she got onto it. And so one of the families, which is the mum the older brother and the 11-year-old who dances come and live with us. Amazing. And the other family, which was an older daughter, the younger son, went and lived about 10 minutes away from us in Castleford. And they've lived there now for, what's it now, eight, 17 months, 18 months. And 
they go around the country and the world. They've been to Amsterdam, to Blackpool, to you know, the south of England, competing in dance competitions. And they practice in our, our back garden, in our sitting room, in a local church hall in Castleford. Amazing. amazing. But they are, they are astonishingly, they're astonishingly good. It's amazing. And so we were able to put them back together again. And what do they make of your Gangnam style? Um, I have showed them. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, not on the first day they go back to Keith <laughs> yeah. no, I think I probably did show them the first day and they were kind of like I think no words I'm not sure what no words is in Ukrainian but they said it I told them it was a salsa and that was a surprise to them right it wasn't totally obvious from the, the steps so they you know I'm sort of tolerated it's quite nice because you get to a certain point now, our kids are now slightly at the age where, despite my best efforts, I'm not as embarrassing as I used to be. So how old were they when you did Strictly, though? How old were the kids then? Oh, then was terrible. So lo- <laughs> our youngest daughter was 13. <laughs> oh, my oh God. Oh, my word. Fucking so, hell, Ed. <laughs> so oldest one was, it was like 17 and 15. Oh, no. 17 and 15-year-old ones were able to, to come to the show. Yeah. We've been incredibly careful, you know, because we were both in politics, mm. um, to keep them always separate yeah. from us. So there was never photos of them mm. they sat separately from Yvette on the live show so that nobody could have pictures of them but they were able to be yeah. part of it but our 13 year old just too much shame didn't want to come no she wasn't allowed to because they had this insurance order <laughs> you right. couldn't go to your 14 so she was not allowed to come she wasn't <gasps> able therefore that's like multiplied the kind of the embarrassment of the whole thing and you know dads are supposed to be embarrassing I just like massively overachieved in that autumn yeah. <laughs> you did it all at once do you consult them before you did it I don't think I not Gangnam Style I mean the show like sigh i'm telling him as well no i mean to be honest i was against i was against doing it but yvette was the person who said do it so that's why i did it she said you've lost your seat you've lost your job (laughs) what else is there to lose jesus (laughs) you're not bringing anything into the house no she said politics is wild go and do it and i then rang jeremy vine who'd been on it the year before and he said (laughs) it was the best thing i've ever done it was the most life-affirming thing he said he said eddie said if you ever want to be governor of the bank of england it might knock that on the head but other than that go and enjoy it yeah and he said his kids had enjoyed it and i think actually in the end mine did i was banned though from going to parents evening for two years after strictly That's actually a, that's a carrot that for me to yeah. dangle. I know, but I'm saying because see the complication for our kids have been I was Secretary of State for schools, you know, for education for oh. 2007, 2010. Oh. So if I ever went to parents' evening, the head teacher was always quite keen to come and say hello, which was always like a bit embarrassing. Yeah. If you're 11 or 12, the Secretary of State's here, so I yeah. was told yeah. that I was allowed to come, but never in a suit. You've got to come wearing um, like casual clothes. Uh. That was fine until Strictly. On Strictly, you're suddenly in. Not in a suit. So I was just entirely yeah. banned. She just, you just can't come at all. Oh. So Yvette had to go and then make notes. <laughs> I think the only reason I'd end up going on Strictly would be my children demanding it. Do you know what I mean? Well, I can't see that happening. No, I can't see that. Not at 13, 15 and 17. But I think it's, it's what started your next career in a way, is it? What did you say? Oh, it definitely changes things. It definitely does. But in a sort yeah. of... In a way which is simultaneously um, good and worrying. Because the thing people would always say to me is, after Strictly, I mean, you know, in the street, I even get it now. People come up to me and say, are you Ed Balls? And I'll say yes. And they'll say, I used to really, really hate you. They say, but I don't anymore. <laughs> and you sort of think, okay, I mean, I know you mean that nicely. But then the, the other thing is that yeah. they'd say, we always knew you were a politician. It's good to see you've now become a human being. And actually, yeah. the idea of politicians not being human being is kind of like a dangerous thing, you know, because in a democracy, yeah, yeah. 
if the non-human people are the only ones who are willing to be politicians, what kind of democracy do you end up with? So it's always worried me a bit. Yeah. Well, the one we've got at the moment, I think. Well, I know. But there's this big <laughs> prism of glass, which is really thick, called being a politician. And what Strictly let me do was step outside of it for a bit. And so people see you in a, in a different way, maybe in a more clear way. Mm. I don't know. The other thing I learned was that you had to um, put yourself aside and just go into character. And that's the bit I really liked about it. I learned something I'd never done in my life. If you're a politician... In some ways, it's the same for you guys. It's always you on stage. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Whereas if you're an actor, you put yourself to one side and play a character, a role with a costume and, and everything else. Yeah. You don't take it too personally because you're one step away. And I'd never done that before in my life. So I realised this is what I had to do. So they said to me, um, third week. Actually, we had a problem. In the third week, I was supposed to do Great Balls of Fire for movie week. But the trouble <laughs> yeah. was, if it says to me like, on the way home on the Saturday night, about one in the morning, she went on the Wikipedia. She said, you do realise you're supposed to play Great Balls of Fire. They wanted it because of Flaming Piano. She said, but that means you're Jerry Lee Lewis. And he, in the film, marries his 12-year-old cousin. So I think that makes you the paedophile and catcher the the 12-year-old. And I'm not sure this is a good look. (laughs) So we decided it's a bad idea. So I rang them and said, I don't think I can do Great Balls of Fire. So then they said, in that case, how about doing the mask? And I thought, well, only if I can have a green face. And it was the best thing uh-huh. I ever did. The following week was Paso Doble, where um, they asked me, I mean, I was basically dressed as a pearly queen and I couldn't work out because they'd said to me, you've got to be macho because Paso Doble is really macho. But when I did it in rehearsal, you know, in front of all the producers, they just all fell about laughing and said it was the most camp Paso Doble anybody's ever done. So I kept trying to think, what is the macho camp figure? So I said, can I be adamant? But there's copyright issues. Right. <laughs> so then I said, can I be the dad from The Incredibles? Because he's sort of camp and macho. Yeah, yeah. I never got yeah. it right. It was oh. a catastrophe. It was a to- total disaster. Well, you sound like you was really into it. I imagine I'd just turn up and be told what to do and got dressed and sent out, but it feels like you were like involved in it. You have to rehearse for 40, 40 hours a week. Oh, that's oh, too much. No. If you don't do the rehearsal, you just collapse because it's really hard to get it all in your head. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, was, the kids thought it was really embarrassing. They've gone from like super serious dad where you're in the broadsheets and people will be going, I hate you, I love you, that's right, that's wrong. And and like you say, you're being Ed Balls when you're yeah. interviewed. Ed Balls a politician, but it is you, yeah. it's you at work and what you think and you're trying to get your ideals into like yeah. policies and stuff. So that is you. And then all of a sudden they see you in Strictly. How did they feel when they saw you being this sort of super serious politician person? Was it quite a stressful household or, you know, because it feels like you're going off to be interviewed on the news and it's all, I'd be worried, I'd be worried for my yeah. parents if they're going on to be questioned and, you know. I think it's partly because, I mean, see, for them, this was all they knew. I mean, Yvette was the first yeah. ever government minister to have um, you know, a baby while a minister. So all the rules about maternity leave and all of that, she just had to make up because, you know, the, the civil service said, you know, I'm afraid your employer is the queen and I don't think we should ask her because, you know, we can't really get her involved. But there's nobody else who has the authority to tell you because you are just like a crown minister. How is she the first minister to have a baby? That's mad. There's never, ever been a minister. Nobody had ever had maternity leave. All the issues about how do you work out how to go away for a period and then come back again when you could then going to be responsible for all the things which happened in the intervening period because you always yeah. are. She had to work it all out themselves. But on the other hand, what it meant was... You know, I remember the children being really little and, you know, a two-year-old saying, where's mum? And I'd say, there she is, and just point at the TV. She's on breakfast TV. She said, oh, fine. Uh, she'll be home in a bit. And so they just knew that that is what we did. You know, the mum went on TV. Yeah. We travelled mm. in this way. And I think, obviously, that changes as they get older and become more aware. But it was, on the one hand, we totally shielded them from it. 
because we just made this decision from the beginning that other than the baby photo, they could never become part of our political story. So there's no election materials. You know, our oldest daughter put it incredibly powerfully when she went to secondary school. I must remember her saying this. She said, she said, when I walk across the playground, I want to be me first, not the daughter of cabinet ministers. Yeah. And we had a duty to find a way to allow her to be herself in that way. On the other hand, she'd always been part of it. So, you know, she was knew the conversation at home when things went wrong, you know, Often there would be TV cameras outside the house. You'd have to get arrangements to get them out to go to school without kind of... God. So how does that work? Then if you're the paparazzi are outside a politician's yeah. house because there's a big story breaking and you're going, right, I've got to get the kids to school. So does someone go out and say to them, look, the kids are coming out now. Don't film this. And then Ed will cut, or Yvette will come out in a minute. Well, it's all about not having double standards. Because if we had ever posed as politicians with our children or put them on our election leaflets, then it's much harder yeah. then to to be hardline about it. I think it's really difficult if you are, you know, the royal family or if you're the prime minister, because then there is a public expectation mm. to see your family. Mm. But I think for everybody else, there's a real cost. So if you'd become chancellor, do you think you'd have had to show your family at that point? I think we would not have done, because I think that's how we had done things all the way through. So we wouldn't have done the photos with us outside the house and and we wouldn't now what that then means is if you've got a big scandal happening or a big problem or whatever it is and the cameras are outside this happened lots and lots of times you can have somebody go outside often we'd have to ring to get somebody to travel over from wherever they were yeah to come into the house then they would then go out again and they'd say to the media whoever was there that the children are going to come out to go to school and can you not film that and i would say 100 percent of the time full cooperation that's fascinating. Yeah. There's never been a photo of our kids. Yeah. There was one time where we had a huge problem. I think I can say this. Um, Yvette's driver was um, arrested for child sex offences on his computer. Oh, my God. And so we find out about this. They get a phone call to Yvette's office, first of all, to say this had happened. And they wanted to talk to the children because had the children been in the car yeah, yeah, of course. with this guy when Yvette or I had not been in the car with them. So we yeah. had to kind of go through this whole kind of complex process talking to them about it. And then three or four days later, we get a call from um, one of the papers to say, we have reason to believe that this has happened, that Yvette's driver, your children are involved. So I immediately ring Daily Mirror, as it was, and say, just so you know, there's no public interest in this. The kids are not involved. They're only little. They're primary school. You've got to protect them. And they say, absolutely and it was never written in any newspapers. But on the Saturday, three days later, again, we get it. It was even worse the second time. It was actually the Mail on Sunday <laughs> saying that, um, you know, that there were you know, pictures of your children have been in, which was ridiculous. No. So yeah. we kick in this whole process. Lawyers talk to the Mail on Sunday, telling them what they can and can't do. Big argument. The Mail on Sunday say there is a public interest. In the end, they wrote a story on page 10 about the driver and the car. They never mentioned the children or their names. They played by the rules. And the front page splash of the Mail on Sunday that Saturday night, Sunday morning was Charles Clark, Ed Balls must be sacked. Ah. Where did that come from? I said to her, how has that happened? And she said, I think you've just taken one for the kids. Basically, to get their revenge, yeah. they wrote the story straight <laughs> on our kids and did me in instead, which was, you know... In politics, that's yeah. that's kind of what happens. Yeah. But so, but, but even in that one, which is our most most difficult occasion, mm. we managed to yeah. stop the children and their names and their photos being in the papers. That's fascinating. But you can't do that if you have, um, if in an easy time, you pose the picture. Yeah, yeah. You can't in a difficult time and suddenly say their privacy. Yeah. There's no public interest because people say, well, you know, 
that's what you've um so um, we've always been very careful about that and um they also um obviously for that reason their surname's cooper oh, right. there's yeah. no other reason <laughs> You don't need the balls following you around here. Oh, my God, can you imagine? No, you know, that was um, the easiest decision of my life. I think we should go for, you know, a common surname, don't you? But I think we should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think we should. Yeah. When did you have that conversation then? Was it like before you had kids or when they arrived? Like, how did it come up? Oh, I think, I mean, like well before there was even any prospect of kids, I think, to be very, very early on. I grew up in Norwich where we had... Oh, you're a big Norwich fan, aren't you? Yeah, big Norwich. I had a page of the phone directory, whole page, balls. I mean, like, thousands of them. Thousands. And, there, and there thousands. <laughs> really? We were actually related to another family called Balls in the same village. In Norwich? Never. No, 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 no. We were unrelated. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm playing the blood. Six fingers, three balls. Oh, yeah, come on. There was another family called Balls. We were totally unrelated to them. It's, it's totally unrelated. Yeah. We moved to Nottingham. We go from a whole page to two names. Disaster. Yeah. I've never heard it before or since. So what, <laughs> what is this Norfolk name of Balls? Every three times you pick up the phone, there'll be somebody there going... Balls! Ah! Hung up. <laughs> oh, because I seen it in the phone book. Well, how many times can you put up with that? There was one time, though, it was like semi-final of World Cup game. I'm going to guess 1986, probably. Oh, no, 82. And it was a semi-final, and there'd just been this terrible foul of the goalkeeper against the striker. Oh, yeah. Remember oh, that? Yeah. He kind of take, sizes him out. Phone rings, I pick it yeah. up. Somebody says, is your name Balls? I said, God's sake, there's just been this foul. <laughs> What are you doing? Get a life and watch it. I hung up. And I think from that moment on, I never felt so bad about it. Yeah. Turning point. But did a vet ever discuss taking your name at marriage? No. No. <laughs> I mean, to be quite honest, if my name had been Smith, I don't think she'd have taken it. Yeah. But I mean, this was like out of the park, obvious. He can't take the balls. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 definitely not. No, never, never going to happen. I never, I never would have proposed it either. You know, it's fine. You're but... quite an enforcer, Ed. You've got a, you know, I've read up on a lot on politics and there's periods where you are, you're considered someone who you wouldn't want to take on. Would that be the same as a father? Oh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the thing is, there's always a bit of caricature in politics and, you know, if you're bigger or, you know, bulkier in the House of Commons, cartoons important. But, you know, there's also some truth in it. I mean, Mm. I look back on my time in politics, there were times when we were definitely too macho when we were younger and I sort of regret that and... You know, I'm doing this podcast with um, George Osborne, which we're just about to to start, which I'm sure you're mentioning. Yeah. And um, but we yeah. both say to each other, we look back, we were too macho, too bruiserish, and we both feel as though that's something that you regret. Uh, but I don't think I ever was at home with the kids at all. You never brought it home. No, I think um, I don't think I've ever looked at George Osborne and thought he's too macho for me. <laughs> really. <laughs> I think maybe you, but I'm, I'm Osborne. I've never looked at him and thought that guy's just too macho. Well, the problem is I can't connect with a tough guy like said, that. Um, he said he was too macho, and I sort of went along with it. <laughs> Do you remember that time when he stood in that macho way, comfortably with his yeah, legs, with his legs really far apart? It just looked like he'd yeah. got the wrong underwear on. My favourite politician photos, Ed, are the sleeves that rolled up around a table. Yeah. Look, jacket off, sleeves rolled up. Like even though you know it's an air conditioned office, know. the sleeves are rolled up just to show that they're cracking <laughs> off. So when you are doing that, are you thinking they must know what we're doing here? Surely, don't you think that in life you can tell the people who are posing and the people who are real? Yeah, yeah. So in politics, there's often the cameras in for the first five minutes and they go out, and you can tell the people right. who sort of roll the sleeves up and kind of 
try and do it for the cameras, but they always look a bit awkward and a bit weird. Yeah. Whereas I think yeah. the people who are... Matt Hancock, basically. Yeah. The, whereas if you think the people <laughs> who actually are relaxed to their own skin tend to look relaxed when they're being photographed as well. Yes. Yeah. Go back to the Kennedys in the 60s. They were like the first people who had this sort of, that sort of informal style of photography around yeah. him, the family, the mm. White House. And it looks really natural because I think it was... Yeah. Whereas Gordon Brown always... Looked, he didn't like the cat, yeah. I mean, he hated having his photograph taken. Sunak looks like he's desperately trying to be a normal person. Like, how would a normal person stand? How would a normal family go on this? Yeah. Because obviously they live a mad life. It's difficult for them to try and pretend to be normal, I suppose. It is. It is hard. I mean, the other problem with photography and politics is that these days you can have so many options and you choose one. I played football in the every Monday at a party conference in the kind of MPs versus the journalists. Oh, I've seen the photos of you playing football. And you'd have five snappers behind the goal and they would take like 5,000 yeah. photos. And what you know is if it was Wayne Rooney playing, you know, at Man United, yeah. of the 5,000 pictures, they would think, what is the best photo which would yeah, most yeah. capture his athletic excellence? <laughs> oh, they've done you here. <laughs> Whereas if it's politicians of the 5,000, which is the one which makes you look the biggest twat. Of and course. it was just... <laughs> Every year, and you just have to sort of, you know, take it on the chin. I mean, you know, the warm-ups were always a nightmare. You cut someone's eye, didn't you? No, he... You, you elbowed someone. No, I did not actually. In the no, head. no, no, no. He threw himself at my elbow. Honestly, it was <laughs> that way around. I was turning to shoot, and as I, I put my arm out to shoot, I didn't realise it had stitches until after half-time. I mean, I felt bad about it in retrospect, but at the time, I just thought, why did he block my shot? It was totally undeliberate. Ed, these photos, they have done you so dirty. There's not even one of you just stood still waiting for the ball. Every photo's like a mad action shot. There must have been loads of them, but they all got cut. You must have stood still once. Know, but honestly, the athletic brilliant ones they never make the papers yeah. they're not the ones we oh, sell no and it's just it's just life yeah that is life isn't it so for rishi sunak it's hard because they're always you know actually you know of course the editors are always looking for the worst photo if it's politics yeah which prime minister would you prefer as your parent as my parent that is a really oh no let's let just do it another way you've, you've got to leave your kids with one of our prime ministers for the week who do you think is going to be the biggest laugh? God, biggest laugh? No laugh. A... Or, or just the best parent? I think um, I think Gordon Brown would have been very focused on my moral direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not sure if I would say that necessarily makes him the most fun. No, but if you left, you had to leave your kids, they're thir- you know, eight, nine and 12 for the week with a, one of the prime ministers. I, I mean, I would have said David Cameron might be quite fun, but he left his kids in a pub. Do you remember? Did he leave his, yes, he left his daughter in a pub? <laughs> Drive off with a Chinese pharmacist, so he, he's out. Boris? Boris. He'll just think there is. <laughs> There's a few of them. I, I mean, I don't think that's true. I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they are his, but um, no, no, definitely not Boris. Can you imagine? Think how much damage could be done in that short period of time. Tony? Tony Blair? I think Tony Blair would be... Would be Liz Truss. Yeah. Let's not forget Liz Truss. She was the Prime Minister Liz for a bit. Truss. Oh my, she's just done an interview about how she failed because of a left-wing establishment conspiracy. And the left-wing establishment includes the Bank of England and the Office for Budget Responsibility. You think, if that's left-wing, oh my God. So no, she's out. I'm actually struggling a bit here. You're going I think I might go Tony Blair. I might go Tony Blair. Rishi. I'd argue, though, anyone that gets to that level of their job 
surely being a parent's not a high in the priority. You've got to be completely obsessed with that position and progress to get there. Surely you've got to put yourself before being a parent to get to that highest level. Or can you do both? I don't think you would ever speak to anybody who's done politics who doesn't say, I look back and regret that I didn't spend more time with my kids and there's times when... Alistair Campbell said that to us. Well, that's exactly right. And the, the priority, yeah. mm. the imperative. And I think one of the really important things that Yvette and I had, because we were both in it, was we were both really good at understanding when the other person had to deal with a real problem. And so mm. you just say, you've got to do that and I'm taking the kids to Pizza Express or whatever. But also calling out bullshit. So if it was actually not real and you could say you don't need to do that. That's not a priority. We should put the family first. And yeah. we were kind of good at policing ourselves to try and make sure we put the family right. But I think that um, all the prime ministers I've known have really worried about it and cared about it. Uh, Gordon Brown, totally devoted to his kids. I think the same is true with David Cameron, mm. with Tony Blair as well. I'm sure it's true of Rishi Sunak. And because of the fact that they will be worrying about getting it wrong... Just get Boris. Of Boris there. <laughs> Oh, he, he doesn't even know who his kids are. <laughs> yeah. Well, George Osborne is saying to me, he and David Cameron tried to get Boris Johnson to come back into, into the cabinet. He couldn't afford it. His alimony, his child support list was so big. It was so expensive. I mean, I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> Maybe he's doing the ultimate what you're doing. You have never named your kids or photographed them. If he doesn't know who they are, then they can never be in the paper. <laughs> Maybe he's doing it right. I know, let's take it to another level. I know, but at least I, I do know, you know, our kids are. I mean, I, I've definitely got a handle on that. Yeah. If we got him on this, it'll be a short start. Yeah. yeah. On George Osborne, yeah. you and George Osborne have parked your tanks on Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart's lawn. No, we haven't. Of course we haven't. <laughs> Everybody says, you know, to use economics terms, the podcast market is not saturated. There's room for more podcasts. Yeah. And people who listen to one of listen to two or three or four. And people who mm. listen to, to yours then go on to yeah. another one which you talk about. Yeah. And Alistair Campbell and Rory's is really popular. You know, they talk a lot about foreign affairs. Has he sent you any abuse yet? Because no. he doesn't like competition. He got quite abusive towards us. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, in that case, I should be worried. He's not sending me enough abuse. Because maybe he's not thinking <laughs> we're going to be big enough competition. He sent me a message last Friday saying, when is it launching? Good luck with it. And give me a couple of tips. That was very kind of him. What were his tips? Because we could double check to see if he's not throwing you under a bus here as seasoned podcasters ourselves. Did he say, don't post regularly? No, he did. <laughs> Do it very slapdash. <laughs> don't mention it on Twitter. He said, there's no need to get on with your um, podcast person you're doing it with because nobody cares about that. Agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, don't worry about the listeners. Take him for granted. <laughs> I'm actually trying to find his text. But it was basically, um, I think you've always got to try and keep it fresh and keep it new and be thinking of the next thing you go on and um, to do. And I think the thing which we will do, which he actually said to me. So it's you and George Osborne chatting yeah. about the politics and what's been going yeah. on. So is it weekly or is it you, you take certain things? It's weekly every Thursday and um, starts this week. And it will have, you know, we'll do a bit more economics than Alistair and Rory do because we were both... Uh, in the Treasury, he was Chancellor, I was Economic Advisor, yeah. I was Shadow Chancellor, but we'll also still be quite um, about politics. And I think that compared to the Alistair Rory one, we'll probably be, be a m bit more insider because George and I were there a lot longer than Rory was kind of on the, the inside mm. yeah. of decision making. And we'll talk about, you know, what's big in politics, what's the big thing happening which is going to affect the next election and the economy, and then maybe 
the thing which um, people haven't spotted is going to be a big deal, which we'll try and highlight. What's that? Can you have a little inside scoop of what that might be? Well... And then they can listen to it in more detail in your pod. You can. We might talk um, about what's happening in... Um... Should I invest in AI companies, yeah. Ed? Is that what's going to... Yeah, I don't think... I mean, George Osborne, maybe. I'm not really the right person to give you advice on investing, although I'd be quite careful about crypto if I were you. But, you know, there's been a big rise in oil prices at the minute. What does that mean? How's that going to affect inflation? What will that mean to fuel duty prices? Is it going to be more expensive for the government next year? Will they make a commitment to keep fuel duty down? Are they, they're gone, aren't they, Ed? They're gone, this government. It's over. I think it's really hard to recover from what happened with Liz Trust last year. Do you remember in... I'm not sure you do remember. You're probably too young. But 1992, Black Wednesday, when interest rates went up to 15% in one day when we left the exchange rate mechanism. It was like a catastrophic day. I don't think the John Major government ever recovered from that. And for three or four Mm. more years, it felt like there was going to change, was going to happen. And that moment a year ago when um, they did a budget and they had to reverse it all and suddenly interest rates started surging up, the markets um, went wild. People who were renegotiating fixed-term mortgages were suddenly finding their mortgage rate was going up one, two, three percentage points. That hit. Mm. And that well, that's going to continue this year, isn't it? And actually real-time impact as opposed to... Yeah, and it's really hard you know. to... Well, the difference is back in 30 years ago, everybody had kind of floating variable mortgages. So your mortgage rate changed day to day. Whereas once you go to, like now, lots of people have their mortgage fixed for one, two, three years. People are renegotiating the mortgage like every week. There's new people getting a new mortgage and they suddenly find out that the rates have jumped up. So it may be your three-year deal doesn't end until November. On November, you're finding out you're paying a lot yeah. more or next January or next March. So the impact mm. of what happened a year ago with the rise in interest rates, people are going to feel that economically over the next year. And if they're feeling it economically, they feel it politically too. So we'll see. I think it's really, really hard for the Conservatives to be re-elected. I think it's unlikely Rishi Sunak could be the Prime Minister. I think it's more likely now Keir Starmer's going to be and is he a laugh? next Prime Minister. Is he a laugh? Um, well, okay, that's the end of that. If he hosted a quiz, would they go? This new reception teacher is really quite surprisingly funny, like they did with Josh Whitaker. So I actually saw him yesterday. Yeah. Um, yesterday we had the launch of one of my new. You know, one of the things about being a father is you have to find new ways to embarrass your kids. Yeah. And so we decided to form. It was Robert Peston's idea, a post-punk band. Oh my word! For centrist dad. Oh. Oh, Ed, Ed, oh no, don't do it to your I'm, children. I'm getting stressed just hearing about this. Go on. So it's you and Peston. Yeah, we only started three months ago. John Wilson, our cultural life, son of Bob Wilson on bass, Chris Taylor on guitar. Um, we start with the Ramones, uh, Clash. What's your role in the band, sorry? I'm the drummer. You're the drummer. I'm the drummer. We ended with um, our our last song with Teenage Kicks, yeah. Undertones. But before that, our, our penultimate song was the Sex Pistols. Oh, my word. Robert Peston singing, Robert I Peston am an anarchist. Singing. I am the Antichrist. Robert <laughs> Peston's a singer at the York Rise Street Party. And as, as we're looking out onto the crowd of the hundreds, yeah. the throng who had come the to hundreds, see Centrist Dad the in their lodge, people. standing together was Ed Miliband and Keir Starmer. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> both bopping away because they both live basically in this street. Yeah. And Keir Starmer sent me a text after to say, you're brilliant. Um, but I watched very carefully. He did not sing oh. the words to Anarchy in the UK. Did he not? He's very careful. Very, very wise, Lovely. if you ask me. Very wise. And so is he, what's he like as a dad? I think he will make a lot of time to make sure that his kids have time and come first. And I think one of the hardest things to do is carve out that time, but you've got to. Yeah. Um, and I think he does. And I think, you know, I know his wife 
pretty well as well, Vic. And I think they really think hard about making sure that they support their kids. Do you think Centrist Dad are going to go on to um, some bigger gigs or is that it, one gig and done? I think I set the bar low, but our kids were, mm. were slightly surprised on the upside. I found a photo. If you type in Robert Peston singing, it's actually worse than you playing football. <laughs> which is, is hard to say, Ed, no offence. But, but how tight was the drumming? <laughs> the drumming looks great. I can Thank see you. you there. I'm in there. You're drumming under a gazebo behind Peston. Oh, my God. I drummed so hard I got a blister on my left finger. Did you? Yeah, it did actually. <laughs> no, it was, it was, I don't know. I mean, maybe the end and the beginning, but who knows? We may get, we may get rebooked. What did your kids think of this, Ed? Um, they are totally against the name Centrist Dad. Yeah. I think it's like really, okay. really embarrassing and ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. They weren't totally sure of the song list. I said, look, I wanted to do Dua Lipa or Lizzo, but unfortunately, <laughs> Peston couldn't do it. It wasn't in his yeah. range. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to return to the Smiths because that was a bit more comfortable. Did he do him. the Smiths? Yeah. He did Morrissey. He did Heaven Knows I'm Visible Now. Oh, my word. With a bit of syncopation on the drums. Imagine if you were just walking past and you saw this happening. No, this is what happened. Yvette said she was standing like three quarters of the way back. And she said, all the time we were playing, people kept walking past and saying, is that, is that Robert Peston? <laughs> <laughs> and people were genuinely, is that genuinely mystified. It was surreal. Wow. How can this possibly... There's a video, Ed. Do you know there's a video? There's a video. There's loads of videos. It was on Good Morning Britain this morning. Oh, right, yes. Oh, we never talked about that as well. What... We had a discussion on Good Morning Britain this morning about should there be etiquette at gigs? You know, should you, if you're a performer, you know, singing or whatever, should you be able to say that you want the audience to be quiet, not talk, not sing along? No, I think at that point you've lost the crowd. If you're having to tell them to sing along or be quiet... That was the argument. We had this a brilliant response from, uh, she was absolutely, called Rowetta. Oh yeah, from Happy Mondays. Happy yeah. Mondays. Oh my God, she totally laid into our other guest who had done the etiquette um, thing, Lucy May Walker. I can really say to you, there was no worries about etiquette during Centrist Dad's set. Sing, talk, dance, anything went. Well, it, it looked like it went pretty well, to be honest, Ed, from the videos. Camden New Journal, if you want to see oh. a zoomed in shot of Ed Miliband front and centre, oh, as he always is. As I said, I keep trying to kind of up it. My Until this moment, I think my best one was climbing Kilimanjaro with Little Mix. <laughs> so that wasn't embarrassing. They would have loved that, wouldn't they? Well, no, actually, my son said, just um, don't not get to the top if Little Mix do. Oh, yeah, God. Because do you think how embarrassing that would be in school? I said to him, what are you talking about? They're trained athletes. They're the fittest 20-year-old <laughs> women in the world. What are you on about? He said, please don't let me down. And um, Did you also say to Yvette, I'm just going away to climb a mountain with the fittest 20-year-old women in the world? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a charity attached, is there? Don't care. I said, Little Mix and Danny Dyer. Little Mix and Danny Dyer, of course. Although, as my daughter says, the Danny Dyer, not the old guy, yeah. the Danny Dyer from Love Island. Oh, so oh. The proper Danny Dyer. Oh, it was her, not the dad. Oh. The Danny Dyer, not the old guy. So it's just you and 20-year-old women, Ed. And, a, you know, and a few, you know, Alexander Armstrong, Dan Walker. So there's that a few way. of us. It was for comic relief. So that was, that was cool. And then the, the other thing I've done, which is in the same category, is I played the banjo oh, no. live at the Royal Albert Hall on BBC One in front of Her Majesty the Queen with Harry Hill and Frank Skinner and 30 members of the George Formby Society for the Queen's 92nd birthday concert. We played um, When I'm Cleaning Windows. You've had a weird life, haven't you, Ed? Ed, did you want to be a politician, really? Deep down, you wanted to be a musician, didn't you? Let's be honest. We came off afterwards. We waited to go on for the encore. Prince Charles says to me, because I knew him quite well on his education, he says to me, what has happened to your life? <laughs> What have you done? And I had no answer. 
I don't know what to say. I think it's better now, Ed. Isn't this more fun than being a politician? Oh, it's definitely more fun and with, with less stress. But, you know, politics is the is really important. And are any of your kids going into it? I don't think so at the moment, but, you know, I would like them to. But I think it's a hard thing to do in modern society because it's so exposed and so harsh. But, you know, you want the next generation to be inspired to make the world a better place. And that's what politicians are supposed to do. And if the people who aspire to make the world a better place don't go and be politicians, who are the people who are going to be the politicians? Because in a democracy, you have to have somebody. If it's the bad guys or the people who are out for themselves, well, where will we be as a country? So if I could inspire them to do it, I'd love to. But, you know, they've seen it from the inside. So they know how tough it can be. Yeah. They know how bad it can be. Did you ever, have, like, when you were um, one of the like, secretaries of state, yeah. have, like, security with you when you were with the kids? Like, and so if you went to parents' evening, could you do that on your own or was there always some sort of security or people around you? No. We um, never had any security. In fact, all the time Gordon Brown was chancellor, he had no security at all. There was any security at the very end of um, the Labour government when Alistair Darling was the chancellor after the financial crisis. But we've had lots of kind of issues we dealt with. So um, a vet has had um, two different people who've kind of, been convicted and served sentences for, for threats against her. So we've had to have a lot of security on, in the home and we have bags behind the door to make sure if somebody tries to pour something through the letterbox. And so the children have had to learn about, you know, that more intense security, much stronger windows, knowing how to be careful. But we've never had any um, kind of actually people doing security. That's really expensive. Yeah. And it's really only the prime minister and defence, the home office who have that. So no, we never did. And to be honest, um, yeah, that's a huge relief because I think it would be... I think it's pretty miserable having to spend your whole time being accompanied yeah. by other people and getting in and out of cars. And so we haven't, we haven't ever had that. Josh, would you like to ask the final question, Ted? Yeah, we always end on the same question. Oh, do you? This is quite a juicy one because we will know your other half. Right. Yeah, particularly because we know, you know, your other halves. Yeah. Well, in a year, possibly with the Home Secretary. <laughs> yeah. Almost certainly. Uh, is there one thing that your partner does, parenting-wise, that takes your breath away you, you could never do it yourself shows you what an amazing parent they oh. are and the second half yeah. of the question is what one thing do they do as a parent that really annoys you but you've never brought it out with them but were they to listen to this that'd be your way of communicating don't do that anymore <laughs> please <laughs> i think that the even when she's really tired and there's been loads of other things going on whether it's on christmas eve or on the kids birthdays she'll always be up much much later than me she'll decorate the room downstairs sort of making sure that everything is right she thinks birthdays are really important and i think i think there was one year when her dad didn't come to her birthday when she was little and ever since then it's been total three-line whip me and her were always there and she just wants to make sure that yeah that's always a special a special day and so christmas night she'll be up to two or three in the morning oh, and i'm just thinking that's nice they're not going to care they'll sleep in but she doesn't see it that way I'm trying to think in terms of things which I haven't told her. If I'm honest with you, you see, we have the kind of relationship where we tell each other. So, um, I mean, she sets a bad example on so many fronts <laughs> in terms of just trivial things. So the thing I have told her a lot before is she's the worst person at putting anything away. If you go into the kitchen, you can see Yvette's made a cup of tea and made toast because you can see you know, the open tea thing where the tea is and you can see the milk's out and then the butter's off. That's what Lou says That's about exactly you, That's exactly what I do. Does she leave cupboards open? It's like a snail. You can basically see a trail <laughs> going yeah. around. And the other thing is, you know if a vet's had a shower because there'll be wet towels on the floor. And I think one of the things I learned about relationships is that there's a certain point where if you keep mentioning it, it becomes really annoying because it's never going to change. And therefore you just have to yeah. just absorb yeah. and smile. So yeah. I love Yvette for very many reasons. And every day I pick up her towels 
and hang them up. Oh. And I've done that every day now for 30 years. <laughs> and I never mention it. <laughs> and if she was watching this podcast, I'd love it if she picked up a towel and put it away. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm never going to mention it because it's part of... Never going to mention it, no. But now she can, if she listens to this or if a journalist picks it up and it gets in the paper, she might... Well, I know, but it's just part of the deal. You'd have to, yeah. There's certain things where you just have to think that's who they are and this is who I am. And so... The thing which really annoys her about me is every three months I'll say, we've got to tidy the house. Yeah, my wife does that. And I go all the way around the house and put everything into a big box <laughs> and I dump it on the kitchen table and then say, we've got to sort it out. And then Yvette thinks it can then sit there for weeks. Think, no, 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 it's got to be sorted out now. God's sake. So we have under our kitchen table is eight bags of things that Yvette's promised she'll sort out in due course. And they've been there since before Christmas. Nightmare. I'm looking forward to you having to cover on Good Morning Britain. <laughs> Shadow Home Secretary leaves towels on floor as a <laughs> news story. Just don't tell her. No, we won't. <laughs> because I, I'm not going to tell her because I just sort of think in the end, you know, it's what I do. Okay, we won't We won't mention it to her. And also, yeah. let's see the power of the podcast. If you don't tell her, we don't tell her. And she comes over and goes, what's this towel problem? <laughs> let's see if it gets back to her. Your podcast, Political Currency, with George Osborne and Ed Balls, out, uh, well, it's out now. And tell your mate to come up to me at pickup and um, apologise. No, he, all he wants you to do is do the next pub quiz. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. The best reception teacher comedy guy he's ever known. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. See you later. Thanks, Cheers. mate. Good luck with it. Ed Balls. Ed Balls. There we go. I don't know who that guy is at the school, Rob. Also, I felt like I started that interview badly when he said we were, and I said running the country into the ground. It was a bit of banter, but because he's a politician, I don't think he sort of... Oh, no, but I don't... I... That kind of thing is water off a duck's back with a politician, isn't it? Duck's back. All right, mate. All right. <laughs> duck's back. That's like water off duck's back, that is. <laughs> What happened there? Also, as well, is it okay, Josh, if I admit this now? And you know that I'm not a major prepper. You don't know who he is. Nah, I didn't realise his wife was still a politician. Yeah, and I didn't really know he was in politics. I literally just thought it was like a news person Brilliant. that did stream. That is, <laughs> and, I, and I was really, really working backwards in that episode. I know, but I think I covered for you. We're like, you know, like when you've got a midfielder who's making runs forward. I'm, I was, yeah, I was, I was covering all your runs, Rob. I was, I was there. The first ten minutes, I was a bit quiet as I tried to work out oh so it's actually because it's different if someone was like oh they were in a band or whatever yeah but with politics it's always so loaded because you don't really know who to oh bring up or not God. bring up because you don't know yeah what was what you know what they can take you know what i mean but yeah anyway good to know now that's the uh, ed balls outro <laughs> <laughs> listen to their podcast um... probably could have done that before he came on sorry about that josh yeah i don't matter we were doing our own podcast but i just for me he's just the gangnam guy exactly rob but he knows his stuff doesn't he rob if you were if you'd done research for that yeah. you wouldn't be being you be you i wouldn't have been being me would i be you rob i tell you what when he said peston was singing i won't i'm back in now <laughs> there we go <laughs> All right. All right. He's a lovely bloke. I do like, I, yeah, yeah, I like I'm a big him. fan of his work on Good Morning Britain and uh, Strictly, but I didn't know about his previous career, really. Oh, there you go. There we go. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> right. Um, see you on Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.